Hi, everyone. It's Anna Greenwald here, and welcome to Moving Through Change. This is our first session of this three-part series, and today is all about resilience. I am the founder and CEO here at On The Goga. I'm also a mindfulness coach and our lead yoga teacher here. And throughout this three-part series, I'm going to be joined by our wonderful program manager and community health and promotion coach, Andrew Campbell. So welcome, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Anna. And hey, everybody uh, out there, super excited to be here. Um, and yeah, as we're diving in, I guess we should really start by talking a little bit about this series and really why we're here. Um, so I'm going to actually toss that question back to you, Anna, to answer. So why are we here? We are here for you all out there. You guys are our amazing members and our members that we get to see every month during normal circumstances, or if we're lucky, some of you would get to see more than once a month. And we're able to do that because each of your member companies care really deeply about your health and happiness and the health and happiness of your teams. And as this current situation has been unfolding, it's been a time of really unprecedented change and uncertainty and challenge for all of us and really the whole planet. At On The Goga, we came together as a team and we've had a lot of conversations over the last several weeks about what our role is here for you all um, and for ourselves and our community. And the one thing, and I think Andrew, you can probably speak to this too, that became pretty clear is that for us and for everyone really, this is a time to reach out, not yeah. to pull back. Yeah, so we've put together um, a whole host of virtual resources for you all, our members, and some also for the general public, just because of the nature of this whole moment, to help in the small ways that we can to bring you all a little bit of happiness and support uh, wherever you are. Andrew, why don't you talk a little bit about the three sections of this particular workshop series? Right, right. So this is the first of three. The first one that we're going to be talking about today is uh, resilience. So we're going to be talking about how do we move through times when it feels like the only thing around us is just change and challenge and obstacles, right? So that's where we're going to be diving into today. Next week, we're going to be discussing a growth mindset. And that's really going to be looking at like, how do we look at challenges as opportunities for growth? And why does that growth mindset matter? Basically, how do we shift that perspective a little bit? And then finally, we'll be discussing uh, habit creation and how do we adjust our behaviors in small, manageable ways to help ourselves persevere through really difficult times and a little bit more challenging times, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about through this first series. As I said, today is going to be resilience. And before we really start diving in, let's go over what we're really going to need today. You'll maybe want a writing implement and scratch a note paper if you're an analog note type of person, or since we're probably all on our computers anyway, the computer is a great way to kind of interact with this as well. There'll be some opportunities throughout this workshop to take notes for yourself. What's one challenge that you've overcome this week? This is actually the same question that we asked earlier this week in our Happy at Home series, which I hope some of you guys are able to come to. But I feel like every single day we're confronting new challenges. Yeah, there's kind of new challenges every day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, working with two toddlers. This has been really prevalent in, um, in our company, right? There's uh, mm -hmm. Toddlers and dogs, I think, have been a new staple of what... That's, yeah, that's the new, uh, might as well be on the go-go colon 
kids and dogs. Kids and dogs. Technical issues. Andrew and I just had a technical issue before we came on uh, with figuring out sound. Yeah, (laughs) making chairs more comfortable. Absolutely. Creating time for reflection. I think that that is really important because especially in a time where, you know, sitting alone with your thoughts can be honestly a little scary and uncomfortable. It's so important to create that time and that space, right? The physical space to be alone. And that, that looks different for all of us right now. And it's, it's really hard for some of us. Andrew, are you seeing any that really stand out to you? Honestly, the routine and taking breaks from the stress is something that I'm still, I, I don't think I'm ever going to fully master, but it's just like magnified right now, right? Absolutely. So. And that's a really great point because a lot of these things are challenges that we do deal with on a day-to-day basis that are magnified right now. I learned to turn off the news so I don't hear it all day. I've honestly stopped listening to podcasts. Like I just can't do it. News podcasts. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Let's dive into it a little bit further. So what we're talking about today, again, resilience and how we're responding to these challenges that we were just discussing. And we're all dealing with different levels and different forms of challenges every day. So Anna, what exactly is resilience? That's the fundamental question, right? Well, I'm actually going to start by opening up the floor back to you guys out there. What do you guys think of when you think of resilience? This could be words, situations. It could be things you're dealing with right now. You could even like give your best definition, but what are the things that you think of that come to mind when you think of resilience? Women. Yes. I love that. (laughs) Absolutely. Andrew, what do you think of? First thing that kind of comes to my mind isn't really so much like of a definition, but just kind of like I picture like a branch or a stick kind of bending, but not breaking, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, kind of that like getting back up, um, not being able to snap back type thing. And people are saying awesome things. I love this idea. Catherine said to move positively when things are negative. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is so crucial right now. Like resilience is present when negativity is also present. Uh, Susan said, responding appropriately to what comes to you. And I think that both of those, that idea of moving positively, not being positive all the time, right? But moving positively um, and responding appropriately, those are beautiful ways. Defiant optimism. Yeah, I love that one. one. Not breaking under pressure. I think Quinn was saying, (laughs) power through and get the task done. And I think that that's a really common thought when we think of resilience. We think about powering through. And when I think of resilience, the first image that comes to my mind is actually like armor, like resilient. I'm, it's like sure. me with a yeah. shield, like moving yeah. against a heavy wind. When we look at the definition of resilience, there's a lot of definitions out there that we could use. Uh, particularly, we love this definition by Dr. Richard Davidson, who's an amazing professor of psychology at the University of Wisconsin Center for Healthy Minds. And they're actually putting out out a lot of great content right now. So that's the University of Wisconsin Center for Healthy Minds. Uh, If you want to Google that, they have a lot of really great content right now. How about the Yes, that's actually, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. So that's hometown. (laughs) He defines it as the rapidity at which you recover from adversity. Really what he's saying is how quickly we can bounce back from adversity. And I think what's interesting about this right now is usually when we're having a workshop about resilience or we're having this conversation, we're talking about bouncing back from daily stressors, right? A challenging conversation with a coworker or a partner, or maybe a bad performance review or a bad client call. I think it's really worth stating that today, this adversity is a deep and universal adversity 
of our very well-being with this virus and this social and economic adversity that it's bringing to us, not just as individuals, right, but teams and communities. Right, right. And that's an awesome point because, I mean, so many times we look at it when we're doing these workshops in person and they're very specific to our lives, but now we have to kind of like almost zoom out and it's like, this is happening all over, right? Like this is happening in every community. So really there's almost two goals to this today. Obviously the main is shifting perception and providing some practical tools to address challenge like we normally would. But also what we wanna do is dig a little bit deeper and we want to just take a moment to acknowledge that you have gotten knocked down. And so has everyone, right? And yeah. kind of just acknowledging and kind of almost bathing in that commiseration, right? The reality is that large-scale adversity isn't something we can power through and force away. It's something that we can move through. And I love that phrasing again, but it's not something that we can get away from. And so resilience through this time really looks like persevering and taking action on the things that we do have control over. And so that, that really is what we're going to focus on today, to your point, Andrew. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you can't practice resilience without adversity, right, right? right? Because resilience is not eliminating adversity, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like this bumper sticker is so many of our lives right now. But <laughs> it's a relationship towards adversity. It's an orientation of our thoughts and our behaviors. And so when we're talking about resilience, we have to first look at cultivating these skills internally in our own minds in order to learn how to create a more positive relationship towards that challenge. Right. And these skills really, this isn't, it's a main thing that we hit on all the time, but these skills aren't going to happen overnight. Right. Mm -hmm. When we say it's a relationship with towards adversity, relationships take a lot of time. Right. So this isn't going to be some flip the switch type thing. It's going to take deliberate effort. It's not going to come about to be perfect overnight because really there is no perfect. Right? Absolutely. But it just takes time. One of my favorite quotes, it's like, it's not that you should be handling this adversity with total grace. Right. I love the quote, if you should too much, you'll should all over yourself. And it's a big mess. I think I pretty much say that to myself and other people every day. Yeah, it really is that this, these are all opportunities and tools, not obligations. To dive into how to start to cultivate this practice of resilience, let's first, what types of everyday adversity are you facing right now? So Andrew, do you have any types of everyday adversity that you're, that maybe are new that you're feeling? Um, I would say, honestly, picking a good time to go to the grocery store, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or just yeah. like making sure that when I'm there, like I'm getting things that I actually need and can like last me for a while, but I'm also not like buying out the store or something. Yeah, absolutely. Fighting my anxiety and depression is something mm -hmm. that Carrie said. And that is, again, something that we deal with every day that right now is magnified. Being isolated is a hundred percent an everyday adversity. Andrew, I remember you were saying that even just knowing whether or not you could take your dog on a walk is... Yeah. That's a form of everyday adversity. I'm even having this thought, you know, we're, we're supposed to be keeping food in our homes and all that. And it's like, oh my gosh, what do I eat for breakfast? Should I be buying produce? Like even just those questions that the uncertainty brings about. Ty said, shielding my children away from the news. That is, I mean, 
what a deep type of everyday adversity to be experiencing right now. That's really challenging because as, as adults, sometimes it's hard to know how to handle this situation. And as parents, it's that next level of challenge and adversity. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was before kind of everybody got like a quarantine. I was having dinner with my nieces and like, we were just mm. discussing everything that's going on and they're like, can we not talk about it? And they were like stressed yeah. about it. Yeah. It's like they're only hearing about it through other adults. And it's like, how do you stop that? So yeah. Margaret said not being able to think long-term and that's all mm. I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to be bringing that up so much right now because I think right. that whether it's for our individual lives, whether it's in our work, whether it's for our communities and our societies, that inability and uncertainty, inability to think long-term because of uncertainty is so prevalent right now. Yeah. What we're going to talk about first is five different types of everyday adversity that we're facing right now and that we do face every day, but right now it just looks, there's a little bit different examples that might be coming up in our lives. Exactly. So the first type of everyday adversity is conflict. Go ahead and write down on your piece of paper or share in the chat some example of conflict that you are experiencing right now. So Wendy just said, worrying for my daughter who's in healthcare and on site at a hospital, which I can only imagine that conflict because it's like your daughter is so needed right now and doing so many mm -hmm. amazing things for our society. And yet there's this conflict of having fear for your daughter's health. Andrew, what kind of everyday conflicts have you been experiencing? Yeah, I mean, since we've began working remotely, I would say like scheduling conflicts, like keeping all of those straight and also keeping like lines of communication mm. open so that you yeah. don't run into too many scheduling conflicts. It's just like a whole new world. Yeah, navigating those boundaries of time. Christine said, feeling as if I need to choose between my finances and exposure to the virus at my part-time job. Yeah. I, I just can't imagine... Yeah. Like, I mean, I can, I think we can all imagine, but yeah. I don't think a month ago, any of us could have imagined that feeling of, okay, do I make money to put food on the table or do I prioritize my health and the health of my community, right? Like right. these are conflicts that so many of us are experiencing that we've never really had to. They're so big and impactful and they're everyday conflicts now that we're experiencing. It's always around. Yeah. yeah. So the next type of everyday adversity are obstacles. Obstacles are just things that come up that prevent us from doing the things that we're able to do. I think this one is pretty evident right now. Andrew, you mm -hmm. gave a great grocery shopping example. Like just going to the grocery store is an obstacle. Any obstacle is when you have that plan for the day and then something that comes up that gets in the way, whether it's a client email or now a technical difficulty or something on the news can be an obstacle. What kind of obstacles are you feeling day to day? things that are just coming up and getting in the way of you living your natural life. Well, I mean, an obstacle for us, Anna, was right before we hopped on here. If somebody's Wi-Fi is tripping up or something, yeah. like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Oh, Sarah's tech support for her whole team. Tech support right now, like, you guys are top of my mind uh, <laughs> in terms of the office obstacles and logistics because I think our team was pretty uh, used to working remote, which is not the norm. And I think a lot of people are really struggling for that. And they're relying on people like you, Sarah, for so much. And then you have to handle all the other everyday adversities that you're feeling. So the next type of everyday adversity that we experience is hard work, right? This is literally just the work we have to do. And I think a lot of people have already mentioned parenting. Parenting is really hard work. All of the hard work that 
we're all doing in our individual businesses to deal with the situation is hard work. And that's not even taking into account that when we have this conversation in under normal circumstances, there's so much hard work going on all around. Like Sarah said, I'm tech support for my whole team. That's hard work. What other just hard work are you all experiencing right now? Andrew, do you have an example of what this looks like in your life? I think for me, it's like transition all of our communication into Mm -hmm. like written word. For the most part, most of us can have like a video meeting or something, but even still, like for me, it's a lot of hard work to take notes on every little thing that we're doing because it's necessary right now, right? We need like written record of things that are being planned. The next type of everyday adversity is criticism. Criticism is something that comes up internally and externally. Criticism is, I feel like this is coming up a lot in how we are judging ourselves for handling different elements of the situation. Mm. How do you guys out there feel like criticism is coming up for you? What about Andrew? What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, kind of going back to no longer being face-to-face is like, how do you how do you provide constructive criticism via email or via mm. like Slack messaging that that really gets the point across? Like, no, I'm not trying to be rude, but like, mm-hmm. here's some here's some things that we could work on. Yes, uh, that whole like lost in translation and emails and everything. I can imagine Sarah working tech support for her whole team probably has a lot of constructive criticism, <laughs> like and feedback, right? Just to give the team and how do you convey that in a way that is helpful when you're under a lot of stress, right? All right, so the last one is comparison. So comparison can come in a lot of shapes and sizes. It looks like what outcome do we expect versus what are we experiencing? And so I feel like that one is pretty evident right now in terms of comparison. It's like, this is how life normally is. This is how life is now. Yeah, I mean, it's like what? It is really important because these are all things that we're experiencing on that magnified scale right now. And as we said, you can't have resilience without adversity. So if resilience is that practice of cognitively shifting your perspective on adversity to move through it effectively, what does everyday resilience look like? Well, criticism, conflict becomes acceptance, right? Now, really important to note, this is not saying like, oh, everything is fine. I'm fine with what's going on. It's just noticing that if our first reaction in conflict, right, is to engage in that conflict, practicing acceptance is really noticing the difference between what we want, need, and desire, and what this other party or the situation is calling for, right? So just that acceptance, it's like agreeing to disagree or accepting that, wow, I want these things, you want these things, and those things are different. Again, it's not going to make the conflict go away, It's not going to create or change the situation that's creating the conflict, but it does foster empathy and it puts you in a clearer headspace to work towards finding solutions to the problem, right? If we're buried in the problem itself and we can't take a step back to identify, oh, right, this is occurring because there is a conflict, then we're not in a position to solve for that conflict. There was one thing that you said that that struck me was like kind of this agree to disagree with the situation, mm. you know? I mean, because yeah. if, you're, if you're caught up trying to like, okay, how can I make it the way that I want it the whole time, kind of move past that to acceptance, I think, you know, you end up saving a lot of time and a lot of yeah. time. So when you're practicing everyday resilience, those obstacles look like opportunities. Now, again, this is not like saying that every obstacle is now an opportunity. Like I can't go to the grocery store. This is awesome, right? It's just saying that 
if we can notice that we immediately see an obstacle and start to feel dread, which is our natural response during times like this, let alone just day to day, it's usually our natural response. The way to cultivate resilience is to identify how we can move through this challenge and what that's going to do for us in the long run. I can see this playing out a lot with our member companies right now, Andrew, right? Like oh, yeah. there's so many obstacles that people are facing and I see so many members coming to us and saying like, this is our challenge and here's how we want to move through it. And already so many of our members have come to us and said, and here's how I want this to positively impact our teams in a year, right? Exactly. Yeah. Next up, hard work. When you're cultivating resilience, instead of looking at that hard work and just resisting it and running away, which is absolutely the natural experience, right? We all feel that way. We can start to look at hard work as a means to an end of, of achieving some larger purpose. It might not be the project itself that you're super excited about, but it's putting it into that longer term context, which as we already noted today is kind of challenging. And we're going to give some specific tools for how to find that long-term purpose when it's hard to even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. All right. Criticism in everyday resilience practice looks like growth. If we receive criticism and immediately start to feel bad, let me rephrase that. When we receive criticism mm -hmm. and immediately start to feel bad, that is an experience that shuts us down from learning from that. And in periods of high change, they require us to be in periods of high growth. And so if we notice that we're having that negative experience in receiving criticism, just the simple cognitive shift there is looking at this as a information to help you grow. Yeah. yeah. And this doesn't really, and really we're not saying like every single critical person that you meet is like <laughs> the truth. But what we're saying is like, maybe when you're receiving criticism, oftentimes people like kind of put up a shield and put up a defense mechanism, but, you know, try to practice a little bit of objective observation and pluck out the actual useful information right. uh, that will help you grow. And to, to our point earlier, this one's really hard, right? Oh, yeah. This is well, kind of one of those eye roll ones where you're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to take every piece of criticism and grow from it. Like that, that's not realistic. Yeah. Uh, it's a practice. And so next week is all about cultivating growth mindset. Um, so we'll have a lot of useful tools and information on that. Yeah, that exactly. one's a really hard one. Finally, comparison looks like compassion. So what does this mean? Comparison is, again, another really hard to break habit. And I think that's another point why habit creation is the last workshop in this series, because all of these thought processes, jumping right to obstacles or hard work or uh, fear of criticism, they're thought habits that we all have. They're natural parts of how our brains are wired to work. And it takes intentional practice to kind of rewire those thought patterns. Compassion is a hard skill to cultivate. It's really effective when coupled with comparison. So what this means is that when we want to compare and feel bad or shameful, if we're shooting all over ourselves, right? We want to acknowledge that that comes from this feeling of not enough. On the flip side of that, compassion is taking that moment to notice this is hard. How can I care for myself? The previous couple two that stand out to me that really grow on this is, is when you're, is when we're cultivating purpose and acceptance, they're also key in cultivating compassion. Like a lot of these very easily lead to the next one, right? Absolutely. Yes. They're all tied together. And compassion is also super important when we're practicing resilience overall, because we're not always going to be perfectly resilient, right? Because yeah, exactly. we, like we've said, like this isn't just a flip, you, this isn't a switch you flip. Practicing resilience is really, really hard. 
Yes. And, and especially in this time when we can't just bounce right back up because there's things that are out of our control, keeping us down. Um, but it is a skill. And so we're here to talk about practices in order to cultivate these practices, getting back to just how do we do this in daily life? There are four core cognitive adaptations, which just mean new thought habits, right? That we can cultivate in order to cultivate personal resilience. And they are trust, purpose, compassion, and growth. And so we're going to run through each one of those and give you a way to shift your mindset around this. And that's how mindfulness is going to come into play. And then also an adaptation, a way that we can change our behavior. Right. So when we're talking about mindfulness, Anna, how does it really play into it? And what's like an easy, like walk out with this definition of mindfulness? Right. What do you mean by that? Totally. That's actually a really good point, right? Because we're not saying mindfulness, like you need to sit and meditate for 10 yeah. minutes a day. <laughs> Like if you weren't doing that before, there is a very, very low chance that yeah. you're going to start doing that right now. Not to say that that wouldn't be great, but it's just probably not realistic. My favorite definition of mindfulness is by a man named James Baraz, and he says that mindfulness is being aware of what is happening right now without wishing it were different. Being with the pleasant without holding on to it when it changes, which it will. And being with the unpleasant without fearing that it will always be this way, which it won't. Mindfulness is just the awareness of what are your thoughts? How are those contributing to your feelings? How is that contributing to your behavior? And noticing like it's okay to enjoy the wonderful breakfast or dinner you're having with your family and simultaneously feel all of this adversity and sadness and challenge knowing that however long it takes, this will also pass, right? So that's the definition of mindfulness. The definition is from a man named James Baraz, and he wrote the book Awakening Joy, which is a really beautiful book if you're interested in that. The way that mindfulness and resilience are completely tied together is really summed up beautifully by this quote by Viktor Frankl, who is, was a psychologist um, who was actually imprisoned in Nazi concentration camps. And so talk about serious adversity, right? And he wrote this book about people's capacity for resilience and, and compassion. And he says that between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And that's from the book, Man's Search for Meaning. And what he's really saying is between what's happening and how we respond to what's happening, there's a moment, this little airbag, Whereas there is an opportunity for mindfulness and in that space, and the more you practice mindfulness, the bigger that space gets, we have this ability to choose how we are reacting to what's happening around us. We can't choose the circumstances. We can't choose the adversities, but we can choose our response. And that response is our freedom in any moment. No one can ever take that away from us. That's how mindfulness and resilience are tied together. So as we said, we're going to go through all four of those core adaptations and talk about mindfulness and then behavioral adaptation. Core adaptation number one, which is trust, knowing you can get unstuck. When we do something, when we try something, when we're in a challenging situation, we all know that feeling of getting stuck. Does anybody have an example of something that they've been getting stuck on recently? The mindfulness exercise here is just to notice like, what are those things that you're getting stuck on? And what is 
it feel like when you're getting stuck? I think this really goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of it. It's like the first step to a lot of this is just acknowledging it, right? Yes. And the way that cultivating trust is a core adaptation of resilience is that when we can trust ourselves that we can get unstuck, then we know we can move through situations and we're that much more likely to take action steps to, to move forward, right? First of all, we have to identify the things that we're getting stuck on and then recognize what it feels like to get stuck. For me right now, I feel sometimes right now in this moment stuck on the little details when it's really hard to see the bigger picture. Sending a short email or even just editing one of these uh, podcasts after we do it. Any of those little things can feel almost like, oh my gosh, why, why am I focused on this when there's this huge uncertainty around me? And that feels like just hitting a mental roadblock. Andrew, do you have anything that you're feel like you're getting stuck on recently? It's really, really small and it's really, but it's also a huge part of the day. Quickly crafting proper emails now because mm. everything has to be set over an email. And it's like, I'll just randomly hit like some strange writer's block on a hey. very simple email. It feels like that writer's block, like just, what does that feel like in your, in your brain, in your body? Well, it, it immediately turns into kind of like, just like this white noise. Like my brain cells are not even working. That's perfect. And not because that's good, right? But right. because it's just <laughs> classic. When we feel like we can't do something, when we don't trust ourselves that we can get out of a situation, that obstacle, right? Talk about everyday adversity. That obstacle makes us feel like we can't handle the hard work we have to do. And then we get down because we're comparing ourselves to our expectations. So you can see how these everyday adversities come up there. Once we can recognize where we're getting stuck, then we can start to notice our behaviors that we're taking. Wendy was saying not being able to be as organized at home compared to the office. I think that's yeah. And then you see the, what the comparison of what you think it should look like. Right. And then it makes it hard to even start cleaning. Yeah. Even yeah. the, the one right before that, that was uh, maintaining open communication while not filling entire day with nonstop. I feel like we're constantly that way. And I'm really yes. glad to hear that. Cause I, I feel like I was talking with one of my friends the other day and they're like, I feel like I'm on meetings right. every single moment of the day. Raise your hand if you feel more busy now than you normally feel, right? I think a lot of I think a lot of people are having that experience. I talk to friends who are having both experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Some people are feeling over busy and some people are feeling like almost a little bit bored. And both right. are uncomfortable. The adaptation here, the skill in adaptation is just expectation evaluation. So a lot of the times, the funny thing about this whole situation is that we know we have unrealistic expectations and yet we have them and then we hold ourselves against them and we start to have this feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm stuck, right? So Wendy, you might know that it's unrealistic for your home to be as spotless as your office, right? That's what you were sharing on the chat. And yet if it's not as spotless as the office, it can feel really overwhelming and then we feel bad and then we get stuck and it's just spiral of negative thoughts, right? right. So. So what you want to do here is look at whatever you're, you're getting stuck on and just say, what is a realistic expectation? What would it look like for this to be good enough, right? And then notice how that expectation, putting that expectation at the forefront of your mind 
changes the way you feel about getting started on things. Andrew, do you have any thoughts about that and just your life and what you've been experiencing with like busyness and all of right, that? Right, right. I mean, for in terms of now that uh, Evan brought it up, like having meetings all day, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just kind of a shift of your expectation of communication. Mm. Um, normally, we're able to like, if you were in if we were in the office, I'll just pop in and say like, hey, x, y, and z, and then go do my thing. But now it needs to be like a planned 30 minute meeting. And that's how it is for everybody. Um, So I guess like a major thing for me is shifting my expectation. Like this is how we're working now. Yeah. Um, Which isn't easy and is not going to take away all the frustration, but it's just a beginning to acknowledge that this is how it's going to be. Well, and I think that, you know, even to take that a step further, because that's a great point you know, all of you out there can be having these conversations with your teams of what are the new expectations, right? We've been having a a lot of um, really positive feedback, having conversations in small Zoom meeting groups, just saying, all right, guys, what's going on? What are the challenges? And what are the new expectations? And when we can set those clear expectations as a team, it can be really, really impactful for taking that stress off and actually making us more productive, right? Because we now feel like we can get unstuck. Yeah, I was going to say, Trisha, come in. Yeah, just making very deliberate time that it's like, no, this is my project time. Yes. And I I still need to work on that. Like I. Yeah. Time blocking right now is a super effective tool for for building that trust. Like I, you can trust yourself that you have set that time aside for whether it's working on projects or hanging out with your family, right? <laughs> And again, that's not to say that this is some super easy, like, oh, I blocked the time. It's going to be a total change in my schedule, but it's a good start, right? So. Yeah, exactly. It's a good practice, right? And that's how we build habits through these practices. Adaptation number two, purpose, seeing something bigger. Resilience is all about the long game, especially right now. The idea of resilience is that we can allow ourselves to be with the short-term uncertainty and sometimes even set it, a, set it aside so that we can learn from our growth, right? So the short-term might feel really uncomfortable, but resilience looks like acknowledging that and moving towards that longer-term goal. This is really, really hard, especially right now when we're so uncomfortable and nervous about what the future is going to bring. But when we can create a clear understanding of our personal larger purpose or long-term goals, it allows us to gain a perspective on this short-term situation, even in the midst of physiological stress. So another just note, and we're going to cover this in the next series that we have on practical mindfulness, but if you're feeling physically, mentally, emotionally burnt out right now, know that that doesn't have anything to do with any moral failings, right? This is your body's response to the undeniable amounts of stress that we're experiencing um, as individuals and communities right now. The mindfulness cue for finding a larger purpose is asking yourself, when do you feel passionate? When do you feel joy, right? And again, right now it might feel like never, right? But there are moments when we're thinking about you know, maybe it's when I have a plan, right? Maybe it's all those things. Understanding when you feel passionate about something, when you feel like working towards something. So if you guys want to share right now, like what experiences, what thoughts are keeping you feeling passionate and, and working hard? Oh, no, I'm oh, going to ask you. Yeah, for sure. So um, 
<sighs> to be honest, I feel maybe more so than ever, but like really passionate when I get to facilitate, even virtually. Because for all of you out there um, who know me, you know I love to talk and be in person and be with people. But even just getting to have these conversations virtually with you all makes me feel super passionate and super focused and uh, really hopeful about everything that's happening. Yeah. Susan said tasks that will protect people, right? So understanding that that larger purpose is for the safety of the people around us. Margaret said, feeling lucky that I can still do work, right? While people around us are getting laid off and what a, what a talk about conflict, right? But that, that purpose of like, I am still working towards this goal. I have this opportunity. And so I'm going to seize that opportunity because I'm in, I'm in a position to do that. That's a really beautiful one. Yeah, knowing my grandparents lived through harder times than this. Yeah, Spanish flu and the depression. Uh, that's great, Christine. And I think that that's actually a really beautiful um, example of seeing that larger purpose, right? Knowing that, like that definition of mindfulness, these things definitely pass. Uh, so the next question would be, when do you feel short-sighted, right? When in this moment are you feeling short-sighted? Said like you feel passionate while you're while you're teaching these classes, and obviously these workshops have shifted a little bit. So when do you feel like you're short-sighted, possibly? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel short-sighted uh, when I'm thinking about the uncertainty of the future, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have that feeling of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen, and then that uncertainty creates questioning about the small things, right? I, say, so, I feel like that can snowball pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I feel short-sighted when I'm thinking about uncertainty. Uh, you guys can also feel free to share when you feel this. Um, core adaptation here for purpose is that perspective shifting, right? Yeah. Susan said, when planning anything that requires leaving my apartment, right? Mm -hmm. It can be like, oh my gosh, there's so yeah. many details to figure out, right? So when we're thinking about perspective shifting, uh, and how does that relate? Basically, what we're saying here is that when we get hyper-focused on the short-term things, right? How is this affecting me right now? How, even right now, how is this going to affect me in the next four weeks? It can feel incredibly overwhelming. And sometimes it can even feel fruitless. Like, why does this even matter? Why am I doing this? But when we can zoom out and look at that bigger picture, I'm doing this because, you know, it's protecting people. Or I'm doing this because it's helping people stay well and healthy. I think about that a lot with what we're doing right now. It's like, yeah, of course, like everyone, there's a lot of uncertainty in the day-to-day -day, um, logistics. But at the end of the day, our core purpose is to help people feel as much as they can, a little bit happier, a little bit healthier, a little bit more supported. And when I think about that, I'm like, you know what? The details don't have to be perfect. Let's sure. keep going. Yeah. So, so I'm going to play devil's advocate a bit here. Sure. So what if something that we're short-sighted about, something that we're getting stuck on, we cannot really connect it to to a larger purpose. Like, what if we're having a hard time doing that? Like, that's such a great question. Uh, and the reality is that sometimes your larger purpose doesn't have to be this like monstrous goal. Like, I'm definitely going to go out and save the world. Sometimes the larger purpose can just be, I'm going to create a moment of rest. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the larger purpose can be, I'm caring for my own well being. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the larger purpose can be, I'm getting food on the table right? Sure, or yeah. I'm protecting my society, right? We talked about that conflict between finances and well-being. And it's like, you can, you can really see the larger purpose on both sides of that. So that's a great question. Um, and it doesn't have to be always feeling exactly tied to something 
super meaningful that is out there. Sometimes it can just be within yourself. Yeah. Carly was saying, I've been keeping a running list of tasks and I'm, that I'm accomplishing while I'm working from home. It's been helpful to remind myself um, that I'm not being idle. And I think that's really important too, right? That perspective yeah. shifting that sometimes we feel like we do a million things and nothing gets done. So Carly, that's like a really great example of how to shift that perspective of, oh yeah, I'm doing a lot. All, for all of you out there who are parenting at the same time that you're trying to do work, tr try making time to write down all of the things that you're doing. I guarantee you won't even have time because you're doing so many important yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, that's a great that's a great example, Carly. All right, so let's move on to the third, compassion. So cultivating self-compassion, right? This idea of being perfectly imperfect. This is all about cultivating the mental habit of self-compassion. And that's really what self-compassion is. So if you're in that rabbit hole of, I'm not doing a good job, maybe you're like, I, it's a technology thing. You're like, I suck at this. I should be doing better at this. Maybe you're even all the way at the point of like, I want to quit. What's the point? When we're doing that, when we're cultivating self-compassion, what we're doing is teaching ourselves just to add in. It's not never having those thoughts. You're going to have those thoughts. I teach self-compassion classes multiple times a month, do mindful, teach mindfulness all the time, practice yoga almost every day. I still have those thoughts, right? So it's not that you're never going to have those thoughts. This is the practice of adding in that voice of kindness that motivates us to keep going. Uh, because that nasty voice we all have inside our head is a total motivation killer. And a quick note about this, I always like to add this in, self-compassion is not the same as self-esteem. So one of our favorite researchers on self-compassion is Dr. Kristen Neff. And she talks about how self-esteem is how much we evaluate ourselves positively, whereas self-compassion is being kind to ourselves when things don't go positively, right? So the beauty of self-compassion is that you don't have to be doing a good job to practice self-compassion. Let's start with the mindfulness element of this. Everybody take a second to write down just an example of when you're really hard on yourself. Andrew, do you have an example in daily life or right now when you're being really hard on yourself? Yeah, I think like right now it's been kind of going back to one of the comments earlier, like in terms of like feeling like I'm running around all day in these meetings. Yeah. Meetings, but then like come five, five thirty, six o'clock and I like close my computers like, what did I really get done? And it's like, no, but that's, yeah, and that's mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know. um, I actually love this. I don't know if Catherine already left, but she just wrote in the chat, sorry to leave, but I have to connect at a 1 p.m. meeting. That is a beautiful moment for self-compassion. Like you are setting boundaries and that is awesome. And I yep. hope you're still on, but I'm going to send you an email after this if you're not. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's a great example, Andrew. Like just getting to the end of the day and having self-compassion when you close that computer of like, I'm doing a lot and that's enough, right? right. Or Catherine being like, I made time. I made... 52 minutes to take time for myself today. That is badass. That is amazing, right? So that moment of kindness amidst <laughs> that feeling of being really hard on yourself. Spending enough top quality time with my kids, yeah. Yeah, Evan said, uh, I'm hard on myself when I feel like I don't spend enough quality time with the kids, especially when we're in the same room with them all the time, right? Or the same home. But we're, it's not like our responsibilities vanish. And so I, that, that, that feeling of being hard on yourself can deepen there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Christine said, just even forgetting to wash your hands, right? Uh, it's like you do it, 
95% of the time. And then the, you forget that one time. And it's like, what, what difference is that going to make? It's especially hard when we're so out of control um, of the outcomes of these situations. So yeah, these are all really great examples. And then asking like, what does that feel like? So that's that, that moment of mindfulness, not right. just noticing when it's happening, but really being able to identify what physical experiences, what emotions are those thoughts precipitating in your body, in your brain? Mm -hmm. So Andrew, when you're feeling hard on yourself and you close the computer and you're like, did I do enough? Or maybe you're even having that nasty voice that's like, I didn't do enough, right? Right, right. I mean, it's, it's, more, it's more so the uh, second one than the first Right, right. Um, but honestly, it's just like a feeling of like, exhaustion but like also at the same time like the wind's totally taken out of my sails by myself like it's like yeah. I feel exhausted because I feel like I've been running around mm. but then in my head I'm like oh you didn't do enough because xyz or something right which then makes the exhaustion worse yeah, which yeah, makes the yeah. feeling worse which then makes you absolutely this is actually a really beautiful um super simple tool cognitive tool for this it's called blast from the past so think about a time in the last 24 hours or the last 48 hours when you've been hard on yourself, right? Or next time, maybe you're feeling hard on yourself right now, or next time that you're feeling hard on yourself. And then imagine that there is a five-year-old version of yourself standing right next to you, looking up at you and saying all of those things to you. What would you say to that little five-year-old version of yourself? So Andrew, if you're a little five-year-old Andrew, was looking up at you and saying, oh my gosh, you just didn't get enough done today. I know you worked for eight hours, but you should have gotten 95 tasks done, not 84 tasks done. You're really not working hard enough. What would you say to him? Try to explain to like, look at this stuff objectively, right? Like yeah. you got, you say you had 12 things on your, on your agenda, you got 11 of them done. Like that's still, that's not nothing, right? Right. Um, I think about this a lot, like the little version of myself looking at me and like, you know, if I do a, a workshop and I'm lingering on like one thing that I said wrong, right? And the little <laughs> version of myself being like, oh my gosh, but I just said that one thing wrong and blah, blah, blah. It's like, All right, hey, little Anna, it's gonna yeah, be okay. Dude. Everything's gonna be okay, right? Yeah. And that's how I would speak to her. And that is your voice of self-compassion how you would speak to that five-year-old version of yourself, how you would speak to your child if they came to you and said all of these things, right? We don't, if there was a kid playing, learning to play the piano, playing chopsticks and messing it all up, we wouldn't walk up to them and say, oh my gosh, you're so bad at this. You're so stupid. I can't believe you would ever try to play the piano, right? You'd be like, hey man, you could be the next Beethoven. You'll yeah. get it. Keep going. This sounds awesome, right? So that is a really relatable way to tap into that voice of kindness, even when things are really going awry. And so we're just going to give you a little sneak preview of growth mindset today as our last cope adaptation. We're going to talk about this all next week. So this is this idea of learning towards mastery. Next week, we're going to look at what are the challenges that we're embracing right now? And what are the challenges that we're avoiding? And why do those things happen? Cultivating a growth mindset is all about learning how to reframe those challenges as opportunities. And like we said, that's a really challenging skill. And that's why we're going to devote a literal entire workshop to that next week. Right. So we will leave you this week with a quote by one of our favorite positive psychologists, Brene Brown, Dr. Brene Brown. She says, you are imperfect and you are wired for struggle, but you are worthy of love and belonging. And I think that this quote 
is just so relevant right now. None of us are getting this perfect. This is unprecedented. And the struggle you're feeling is so real. And that's what your body's designed to do to protect you from all of the neg negative potential outcomes, right? And even through all of that, you are worthy of love and belonging.